As we continue our sermon series in the book of James, let me invite you to turn in your copy of the scriptures to James 1, James 1, verse 19. This afternoon we'll be looking at James 1, 19 to 27. Listen carefully now to the all-powerful words of Jesus Christ. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, We praise you for the precious gift of your word. We ask that you will now help us to know your wisdom in the scriptures. We ask that you grant us grace to humbly receive your precepts and to obey all your commands. We ask that your word would cut and expose the depths of our hearts. Show us the wickedness of our sin that remains. Help us to turn our eyes to Jesus Christ and to behold the surpassing riches of his glory. May your word now go forth in power to open the eyes of the blind and to strengthen the faith of your saints. In the almighty name of Christ we pray. Amen. One thing I miss about the United States is the grass. Beautiful luscious, green grass. When we moved to our recent villa, I was determined to have a yard. On one side, there's a garden area that the previous owners had covered with bricks. After the bricks were removed, I spent two whole days laboring, shoveling, and removing the gravel that was laid underneath the bricks. Eventually, the grass was delivered, and it was laid down in my yard. And the grass was everything I had hoped for. It was a beautiful, beautiful piece of home. Unfortunately, the splendor of that grass did not last very long. Even though I had worked very hard, I was unable to remove all the rocks from the dirt. And just like Jesus' parable of the soils, the rocky soil in my yard prevented my grass from fully taking root 
And when the scorching heat came from the summer, most of the grass withered and died. The unhealthy roots were exposed by the harsh elements. Even though it looked beautiful for a season on the outside, it was withering on the inside. Beloved, just like the harsh elements of the summer heat, God has designed trials to expose the root of our hearts. As Pastor Sampson explained last week, trials serve as the training ground to test the genuineness of our faith. Everyone who truly belongs to Christ will endure. This is because our faith is a work of God who saves us and keeps us through his word. So look back in James 1, verse 18. This is how we concluded last week. Of his, that's God's, own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That's the gospel. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You see, through the gospel, God causes us, by his sovereign decree, to be born again. He gives us new hearts that will endure in faith. It is a work of God. He has sealed us with his promised spirit as a guarantee of our salvation. But a question still remains that James wants to answer for us. How do you and I know that we are really born again? You see, the work of the Spirit in our hearts cannot be seen with physical eyes. So what assurance do we have that we can have confidence on the day when Christ returns? Just like my grass that had withered, James tells us that the genuineness of our faith is known by observable fruit. It's known by observable fruit. The word of truth must take root and it must bear fruit. The word of truth must take root and bear fruit. So in verse 19 to 27, James gives us two gospel imperatives that mark genuine faith. First, everyone who is born again must humbly receive the word. And we see this in verse 19 to 21. Look at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. James first tells us that enduring faith begins with knowledge, with what we know. Do you see that in the text? Brothers, you must know this. This is an imperative or a command. Beloved, if we are Christians, which means we are like Christ, there are certain truths that we must know and we must believe. And this is true of our salvation, but it is also true of our endurance in sanctification. Think back to what James says in verse 2. So look back at verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The reason we can count trials as joy is because of what we know. God's word is an anchor for our souls so that we might not be tossed to and fro in our suffering. 
Brothers and sisters, wisdom for the church begins with a right understanding of truth that is found only in the Scriptures. Therefore, James commands us in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers. Now before we get to the rest of the command, I want to stop for a moment, and I want us to notice James' pastoral heart. Even as he's going to lay our hearts bare with these difficult commands, James here reminds us of our identity in Christ. He says, you are beloved brothers and sisters. Grace Church, you are beloved by God. He so loved you that he sent his only son to save you from your sins. You are beloved to God, and my friends, Grace Church, you are beloved to your pastors. Though we sometimes say hard things from God's word, you need to know that we love you. We love you and we earnestly desire your eternal good. Beloved, we need to regularly remind one another of our identity in Christ as we seek to endure and obey all God's commands. So what must we know? Look again at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. One thing that we find difficult as sinful human beings is to control our tongue. In fact, James will say later in chapters 3 that every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. Think about the last time you gave in to gossip or said an unkind word to your spouse. Being slow to hear, slow to hear, and quick to speak is woven in the very fabric of our DNA as sinners. And you see, James is telling us here that one of the marks of a new, the new birth is self-control over our tongues. We must be quick to hear and slow to speak. This is a posture of love that prefers others above ourselves. We are eager to really listen to one another. And we are eager to speak in such a way that would build others up in love. Now, it is easy to be kind with our words when someone is nice to you, right? Do you want to know if you really love one another in speech? How do you respond when your buttons are pushed? And we are tempted to anger. We are especially prone to speak rashly when we are offended. Just living with other sinners can create fractions in our relationships. And if we are not careful, we will bite and devour one another in our anger. So why must we be slow to anger? Well, James tells us in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Be slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When James uses this term, the righteousness of God, he's referring to right behavior, right behavior that is acceptable and pleasing to God. 
Beloved, anger cannot produce righteousness in others. Even when you are mistreated, your anger cannot make that wrong right. In fact, Proverbs 15 tells us that anger does the exact opposite. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Every time you lash out in your frustration, you actually are making things worse. But friends, how many times, how many times do you believe that your anger will produce righteousness? Think back to the last time you got in a war of words with your boss or with your spouse or with your siblings. Think back to the last time you gave that cold shoulder in bitterness or you lashed out in your outrage. What were you believing in that moment? What were you hoping to accomplish? Parents, why do you raise your voice at your kids when they do not obey? How many times do I have to tell you, pick up your toys? Because it works. You will get external results. But my friends, do not be deceived. Your anger will not produce lasting change in the heart. It will not produce a right behavior that is pleasing to the Lord. Listen to how Paul Tripp talks about this temptation. Some of you really believe that raising your voice will change a person. That volume is redemptive. And so when you're upset, you raise your voice. And when I am up in your face and I'm saying harsh things, what are you thinking? My, this is helpful. I wish that they would do that more. This person must love me. Scream at me more. I feel change happening within me. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But this is exactly how we behave in our anger. So the question is, what should you do when you see anger rising in you? Repent. Repent. Repent of your anger and receive God's word. Look again at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Here, put away means to renounce or lay aside. When we sin in gossip or anger, we must take everything off that is filthy and wicked. As scholar Craig Bloomberg explains, these moral failures and taints of evil in our character are the grime and the muck that we need to remove from ourselves as readily as taking off filthy clothes after a long day working or playing outside in the mud. Now, wait a minute. What does anger have to do with moral failures? You would think James would say here, put off all malice and hatred. Why does James command us to repent of all filthiness? My friends, anger is ultimately a matter of 
the heart. Anger is ultimately a matter of the heart. Anger is like a warning sign, like that annoying beep in your car, beep, 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 that tells you you're going over 120 kilometers per hour. Our words reveal the character, the root of our heart. Turn with me to Matthew 12, verse 33. Matthew 12, verse 33. Listen to what Jesus says about the connection between our words and our hearts. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Now, just as a side, friends, I wonder if you really believe that you will give an account for every, every careless word you speak. Your sinful words reveal something that you are wrongly treasuring or wrongly believing. And we must allow God's word to expose our filth and correct our thinking. Look again at verse 21. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James here commands us to receive the word with meekness or humility. As he will later say in chapter 4, humility is an evidence of God's grace in your life. It is a posture eager to come under God's authority and to receive whatever he says. And what does it mean to receive the implanted word? Well, the phrase implanted word here gives this idea of a seed that has already taken root in good soil and now is producing good fruit. Remember, James here is talking to believers who are already born again. You see, we never get past our need for the gospel. Yes, we receive the gospel when we first believe, but we also receive it every time we submit our lives to the scriptures. Beloved, we must daily submit our hearts to the word of truth. Those who are truly born again love God's word and come again and again and again, like returning to your favorite restaurant to feast on these words of life. Fruit of saving faith is an ongoing dependency and an ongoing delight in the scriptures. Friends, we must be like the apostles who told Jesus Christ, where else, where, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It is this implanted word and this word alone that is able or powerful to save your souls. Now James here is talking about 
future and final salvation. Yes, we are saved by faith, but we also will be saved by faith when Christ returns and finish this gift of salvation. It is this implanted word, my friends, that is able to keep us enduring in the faith. And what is the result? That we might receive the crown of life. Beloved, we desperately need the word every single day. To the world, this book, this gospel, the word of cross, of the cross, is folly. But to us who are being saved, the gospel is the power of God. It is here, in the gospel, in the word, where the filth of our hearts are exposed. It's here where we are warned of God's wrath and graciously called to repentance. It is here where we are reminded that Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, left his glory in heaven and he became obedient, even obedient to the point of death on a cross. It is here where we remember that Jesus Christ bore the anger of God's wrath for every bitter thought and evil deed that we committed. It is here where we are reminded of the assurance of Christ's victory over the grave and the hope of eternal life. It is here where the afflicted are comforted, the weak are strengthened, and the weary are upheld. It is here where our faith is found and the hope of our final endurance is assured. Beloved, if we're going to endure the many, many trials that you will face in this life, we must cling to this rock. We must cling to the scriptures every single day. Some of you are weak in your fight against sin because you are anemic in your diet. Maybe you are quick to anger or gossip because you daily rely on your own strength. Some of you need to till the soil of your heart. You need to remove the rocks that defile you. You need to repent of your sin. And you need to daily come to the fountain of life. You need to receive this word by faith, which is able to save your souls. So first, those who are born again, humbly receive the word. Second, those who are truly born again, must rightly obey the word. We must rightly obey the word. And we see this in verse 22 to 25. Look with, look with me at verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. According to James, enduring faith not only receives the word, but obeys the word. This is a gospel imperative. We must be doers of the word. A saving knowledge of the word will produce the fruit of obedience. But if you hear the word and do not obey it, then James tells us that the problem is not with the word. The problem is with you. You are self-deceived. You are deceiving yourself. He then illustrates this, this deception with a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. Look at verse 23 and 24. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Self-deception is like a man who forgets who he is. He could spend hours and hours and hours observing every little detail of his face in the mirror. And the moment he leaves the washroom, he immediately forgets. As one commentator explains... It is like a man who examines intently his own face in the mirror, but within seconds, he cannot even pick himself out of a police lineup. This is a picture of our sinful states apart from Christ. Without God's intervention, we hear the word and we leave unchanged because of the depravity of our hearts. You see, friends, there's nothing in us that can produce obedience. We in our sinful state, are deceived by the lust of our hearts. And we have nothing in ourselves to offer God. As the song, Not in Me, humbly reminds us, no humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hand, no tearful song, no recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. No separation from the world. No work I do, no gift I give, can cleanse my conscience, cleanse my hands. I cannot cause my soul to live. Friends, we need something outside of us to expose our self-deception and to produce a harvest of righteousness within us. Look again at verse 25. Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Unlike the man who is self-deceived, this person looks into the perfect law of God and perseveres in obeying it. Now, the most clear reference to the perfect law is found in Psalm 19, verse 7, which says this, The law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. This perfect law that James is talking about is the Word of God. It reflects the holy character of God, and it and it alone can cause revival in a dead soul. Friends, it is the gospel alone that enables our obedience in faith. Unlike the man who forgets what, who he is like, genuine faith looks into the perfect law and obeys it. Now James here calls the perfect law the law of liberty or freedom. How does the law of God lead us to freedom? Turn with me to Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 23 to 26. It's probably one of the best passages on the relationship between the law and the gospel. Galatians 3, verse 23 to 26. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. 
For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. See, the law of God, the perfect law of God, exposes our sin. And like a taskmaster, leads us to Christ. Jesus Christ fulfilled every dot and tittle of the law through his perfect obedience. We are unable to obey the law and achieve righteousness and salvation, but Christ, he obeyed perfectly. And not only did he obey the law in his obedience, he obeyed the law and fulfilled the law in the curse by becoming a curse on the cross. Jesus Christ paid the penalty of our sin and has accomplished the righteous requirements of the law so that everyone, everyone who trusts in Christ will receive His perfect righteousness. This is what's called the great exchange. Our sin was imputed onto Christ and His perfect life is imputed onto us. As Paul explains in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake... God made Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. By faith, we are united to Christ and we receive his righteous record. And in Christ, we are set free from the bondage of our sin. For freedom, Christ has set you free. God has written the perfect law on our hearts by faith in Jesus Christ. And now we are able to obey him. You see, James here is talking about the obedience of faith. Obeying from a heart that trusts in Christ alone. We obey the scriptures by looking to Christ and trusting in his gracious provision. This is why for the Christian, listen to this. For the Christian, 1 John says, the commands of God are not burdensome. Do you believe that, beloved? In Christ, the commands of God are not burdensome. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He has given us the Spirit of Christ so that we can obey God's Word. And for everyone who obeys the Scriptures... We are blessed. We are blessed. James says, we are blessed in our doing. As the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I was tempted to sing there, but my wife wouldn't let me. It's a glorious hymn. Beloved saints of grace, you are equipped for every good work. You are no longer totally depraved. You have the word of Christ, the spirit of Christ, and the body of Christ to obey all his commands. So friends, trust and obey. Walk in the obedience of faith. You are made to know our Savior in the scriptures. So read God's word and respond in obedience offer lives of sacrifice that are pleasing to him. No matter what God has ordained, you can find rest and joy as you walk in the obedience that God provides. Even if it costs your reputation, even if it costs your job, even if obedience will cost your life, 
The reward and the joy of knowing Christ is worth it all. Amen? Beloved, let us daily take up our cross and follow our Savior wherever He takes us. Now James concludes with three applications in verse 26 to 27. What does it practically look like to receive and obey the Word? Well, first we must bridle or control our tongue. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. The word religious or religion here is used to describe a devotion or a worship to God. James here is addressing everyone who thinks that they are a Christian. We have many in this room who think that they are a Christian. But he tells us, if you cannot control your tongue, listen to me, if you cannot bridle your tongue, then you are deceived in your heart. Friends, we cannot follow our hearts because you cannot trust your heart apart from Christ. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Friends, we need others to help us examine our fruit and our words. This is why we have membership interviews when people want to join our church. We want to help them examine whether they are really born again. And James says that your words, what you say, reveal the spiritual condition of your heart. James here is talking about a tongue that is quick to boast. This is an unbridled tongue, quick to gossip, quick to tell a dirty joke, quick to curse, quick to slander others. He's talking about everyone who makes a practice of sin with your words. Friends, if you do not bridle your tongue, your worship is worthless and vanity in the eyes of God. If you cannot bridle your tongue, it is because deep down you love yourself and you love your sin more than you love God. Friends, some of you look religious on the outside but are dead on the inside. You bear no fruit of obedience to God's word. You've rejected the gospel and have rebelled in your heart against his assessment of you. Maybe you're thinking right now, who are you to tell me what I can say and not say? I go to church. I try to be the best person I can be. What if I let a bad word slip every now and then? Or maybe you've been hurt by real injustice and deep down you shake your fist at God. And before you know it, you join the voice of the crowds before Pilate, crying out in anger, crucify him, crucify him. My friends, there's only one person in the universe who is right to be angry. But the good news of the gospel is that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. He controlled his tongue perfectly. Though he was slandered and maligned and wrongly accused, he did not open his mouth. But like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and he laid down his life on the cross. Jesus Christ bore the full cup of God's anger reserved for us. 
He conquered and rose again and now offers a pardon of forgiveness. My friends, repent of your sins. Turn away from your anger and your lack of self-control and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the good news of Christ, which alone is able to save your souls. Now, beloved saints, may this serve as a warning for us who struggle to bridle our tongues. If you continue in sin, the scriptures are clear. You will not inherit eternal life. Let this passage be a warning that convicts your heart and leads you to repentance. Turn your eyes to Christ. He will forgive you, and he will grant you the grace you need to speak with kindness to others. Maybe some, some of you need to pull a brother or sister aside and ask for forgiveness for your harsh words. We must be a people who are quick to speak the truth in love. And when we sin in our words, we must, humbly, we must humble ourselves and confess our sins. Beloved, may we be a people who pursue unity and love that produces a harvest of righteousness in our congregation. Second, we must also care for the needy among us. Look again at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. True worship that pleases God includes care for one another's needs. Do you remember the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart? And what is the second? To love your neighbor as yourself. In the early church, orphans and widows had no way to provide for themselves. They were completely dependent on the generosity of others. Beloved, fruit of saving faith is a love for one another that is marked by compassion, benevolence, and selfless service. Now, I want to commend many of you who have given time and time again to care for the needs of our congregation. Beloved, this is an evidence of God's grace in your life. And we as pastors praise God for the many ways you care for one another. So in this, in our continuing to care for one another, I want to give you two brief exhortations. First, I want to encourage you to examine the reason that you give. Is your impulse coming from some cultural expectation or is it an act of faith and worship to God? Maybe next time you receive a request, sit down with a mature brother or sister and ask them to help you assess your heart. Second, I want to call you to consider ways you can care for the poor outside the church. You know, we as a church have a presence in this country because of two doctors who came here and cared for those in need. Specifically, We should be a people who are eager to care for orphans through adoption. Surely God is calling some of you to deny yourself investments or land so that you can adopt. At my previous church, we saw couple after couple adopt internationally, and then we saw some of those children grow up and believe in Christ. What a picture of God's grace towards us. The last application James gives us is found in the second half of verse 27, to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
we must keep ourselves pure and unstained. Fruits of saving faith are lives that are increasingly increasingly marked by holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you may abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you may know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Beloved, do not be deceived. Everyone who makes a practice of sin, who is stained by the world, who does not pursue holiness and purity, will not inherit eternal life. Everyone who is born again must walk in the righteousness that Christ provides. He is a sympathetic high priest. He invites us to come to him, and he offers our help in time of need. Beloved, let us watch our lives, and let us be willing to humbly confront one another when we see sin. We must help each other endure in faith so that we might make it to heaven. Beloved, let us run this race together with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. May the fruits of faith mark the path we trod through the life of Christ to the glory of God. May our hearts be so consumed by him that we never cease to praise. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. We thank you for this precious word that not only is able to save our souls, but keep us enduring to the end. Lord, we ask that you would sustain us and help us to flee sin and to run to Christ. We pray that you'd build our church, that you'd grow our love and our affection for one another. We pray that you would produce a harvest of righteousness in our midst. We pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.